Dan, thank you very much. Let's uh, keep those uh, Bibles open as we come to look at this uh, passage from uh, John chapter 4. And as we do, let me pray for us. Our loving Heavenly Father, we've been singing of grace, of your undeserved gift, of forgiveness and of relationship restored with you. We thank you uh, for your grace and we pray we'd understand more of it and indeed long for it, uh, the grace of God in our lives day by day. In Jesus' name, Amen. In Vanity Fair magazine, pop legend Madonna describes what motivates her in life and it is most surprising. She says this, I have an iron will and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Now, Madonna is absolutely right, which is something I don't imagine saying very often. Madonna is absolutely right. Her struggle to prove that she's somebody will probably never end. While that is her pursuit in life, she will never find the satisfaction that she so needs. She'll never be content. It's that struggle to find satisfaction and contentment and meaning in life which is right at the heart of this story in John chapter 4. A longing which itself is right at the heart of the very existence of every man and woman and boy and girl who ever walked planet Earth. That need to find that missing something. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 4 and verse 13 again. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 13 seems such an obvious statement. Whoever drinks this water, water from the well, will be thirsty again. Hardly the penetrating words of the Son of God. Until we grasp what here is going on in John chapter 4, Jesus, of course, is talking about much more than physical water. That becomes obvious in the next verse, verse 14. You see, Jesus is talking here about a thirst that is in every single one of us. There's a craving in you and me for something more, more than can be found in space and time. Anything you drink in time and space will leave you thirsty again. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's a fascinating moment in John's Gospel as well, if you know how John's Gospel goes. In chapter 3, Jesus meets a Pharisee called Nicodemus. And here at the beginning of chapter 4, we see a meeting of total contrast. Nicodemus and now the woman at the well. Everything about these two peoples are poles apart except for one thing. They could not be more different One is a man, the other a woman. One a Pharisee, a religious person of great standing. The other a Samaritan, a religious no-hoper. One is moral, a more upright man you are unlikely to find. The other, she is such an immorally loose woman that she's become a social pariah. They could not be more different, you see. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. This woman met him in the heat of the day. Verse 6, we're told it was the sixth hour, midday. And of course, Nicodemus has a name. And this woman, we just know her as the woman at the well. These two people could not be more different, except for one thing. 
They both have a thirst. They are both searching for the meaning of life. And they are here in John's Gospel, in chapters 3 and 4, side by side, to demonstrate to us that whoever we are, Nicodemus or the woman, religious or irreligious, uh, moral or totally immoral, respected or ostracised, whoever we are, we are in need. In need of something that only Jesus can give us. See, we're searching, searching for meaning, for satisfaction in life. We have a craving in life, for real life. I mean, satisfying, fulfilling, meaningful life. We're trying to discover who we are, why we're here. In the words of Madonna, we need to know that we are somebody. Uh, Daisy War wrote a fascinating article in, in last week's Sunday Times magazine. It's called The Great Happiness Hunt. Her teenage daughter was listening to Leona Lewis, the X Factor winner, singing, I just want to be happy. I don't know if you know the song. I didn't until I read this. Uh, the chorus goes like this. I don't suppose it took somebody very long to write these words. I just want to be happy, happy. I just want to be, oh, I just want to be happy. Now, I dare say that when Leona sings it, it's a lot better than I've just uh, uh, recited it. Uh, I haven't put a lot of uh, meaning into that. Uh, but Daisy War responds like this, For heaven's sake, I long to shout back. Can't you at least be a little bit more specific? I told my daughter that wanting to be happy didn't count as an ambition, not in itself. I don't think she believed me. If I'm brutally honest, I'm not convinced that I believed it either. But it's the sort of thing parents are meant to say to their children, isn't it? Of course, as we all know, wanting to be happy has become something of a religion for my generation. The fashion to come up with ever more outlandish ways to achieve personal fulfilment has become ever more frantic. I've lost count of the number of clever, high-achieving friends I've waved off on their preposterous, back-to-basic, self-actualising adventures, animal counting in Kenya, cheese-making in Wales, landscape gardening in Melbourne, novel writing in Rome, poverty ameliorating in Thailand, compost lavatory building in Spain... Add to that the apparently unending stream of newspaper and magazine articles featuring good-looking English expats ecstatically self-actualising from their vineyards in France, olive groves in Tuscany and so on. The question is, of course, did any of these fashionably adventurous people ever find what they were looking for? Possibly not, if my own experiences are anything to go by. I've been a fairly feverish participant in the great happiness hunt since the moment the parents ceded control. In fact, looking back, it, it occurs to me I've gone charging up just about every blind alley that ever caught my eye. A million love songs, egocentric projects, lonely sunspots and disappointing destinations later, here I am, back at my desk in old London town, with a pile of unopened brown envelopes in one corner and the same inescapable shadow of my own mortality in the other. doesn't matter where you run or which tent you shelter under. turns out some things just won't go away. It's a refreshingly honest piece, isn't it? We're all searching for something. I accept some will say here, no, 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 I'm not searching for anything. I'm not longing for happiness with Leona Lewis or struggling to become somebody like Madonna. I'm not one of Daisy War's friends who've gone off around the world in search of that missing something. No, this pursuit of, ha of happiness is not an issue for me. And that, you see, is where this contrast with Nicodemus and this woman at the well is so fascinating once again. You see, Nicodemus is obviously searching for something. He approached Jesus. He sought out Jesus. He wanted to ask Jesus questions, asking Jesus who he was, where he came from. But this woman, 
Well, for this woman, there's no obvious searching going on in her life. In verse 7, she's just going about her daily routine. She's come to the well for water. That's what she did day after day. She's not searching for anything. She didn't go looking for Jesus. He was just there. She didn't even start the conversation with him. He spoke to her. She's not searching for anything, is she? Now look what happens as Jesus begins to engage her in conversation and ask her questions. See, it doesn't take long as we look at this story to discover that our whole life has been a search for more. So look down to verse 18 where we discover that she's had a string of relationships. Five broken marriages later, she was now living with a man who was not her husband. She, you see, had spent her whole life looking for love and acceptance and satisfaction in men. And so the water she went to get on that day was just a little picture, a metaphor, if you like, of her whole life, of her thirst in life. That's what Jesus said to her in verse 13. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Jesus was speaking about far more than water from a well. There's a craving in us, in all of us, a craving that things in time and space cannot satisfy. Indeed, anything we drink in time and space will leave us thirsty again. Like fetching water, we have to just keep going back to the same thing every day to quench this thirst that we have. For this woman, she was looking for this missing thing in the arms of men. For us, well, it may well be relationships, but it can be all sorts of things. It can be our career, believing that a great job will give us the status and money to be able to to be someone and to go places. It can be a thirst for materialism and hedonism, for leisure and pleasure, holidays or early retirement, a trip around the world. It can be a pursuit of beauty, because if I look good enough, I can have everything I want in this world, can't I? In the movie Chariots of Fire, one of the characters, an Olympic sprinter, says this, just before running the the 100 metre event, contentment? I'm 24 and I've never known it. I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what I'm chasing. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide and ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? They're chilling words, aren't they? I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what I'm chasing. Some people can articulate it. Others, like this woman at the well, don't even know they're looking for it. But believe me, deep down, we're all looking for that something, for that something that we were made for. I think it's what lies behind a midlife crisis. Suddenly, half your life has gone... The best years of your life in terms of health and fitness and looks have slipped away. What now? Honestly, what is left? What do you have to look forward to now? Midlife is is the point in life when you've reached either reached that level in your career that you always aimed for or when you begin to realise that you're not going to reach it and then many of your other dreams as well that you've always had are not going to be realised. If you've achieved what you began to set out in life for, you, you begin to feel empty. That feeling of so what comes rushing in. And if you haven't achieved, you begin to wonder if that elusive thing is now out of reach anyway. And so you begin to feel the frustration of it all. You've worked your socks off and still there's that nagging feeling that you haven't got what's missing and that is such a lonely place to be. 
such a hard thing to admit to. It's hard to admit to because all your life, everyone around you has been telling you that this is what life is all about. You know, the pursuit of stuff or career or whatever it is. And one of the great problems is that these things keep luring us in, don't they? For a while they seem to satisfy. Christmas is a great example of what happens in life. Our kids, they're a great example. I was uh, talking to Joshua Monday this week. He wants to go out and buy some more Playmobil with his Christmas money. He got Playmobil for Christmas. He got loads of toys for Christmas. As he opened his presents on Christmas Day, his little face was a picture, a more delighted little boy you could not find. Oh, thank you, thank you, Mummy and Daddy. Thank you, thank you, he said. At bedtime on Christmas Day, I tucked him up and he said this to me. He said, this has been the best Christmas ever. I got everything I needed. (laughs) Two weeks later, he wants to go out and buy some more. But that's just kids for you. No, it's not. That is life for you. And we adults are no different. It's just that our toys are a little bit more sophisticated. Whether it be the iPhone or the new car or the promotion or the dream holiday, whatever it is, we look to things outside of ourselves to satisfy that which is in all of us. And there are times when that longing just seems to be satisfied. When we, when we first fall in love, when we get the new job, when we buy the new home, we think, this is it, this is what's going to fulfil my dreams, but it doesn't. C.S. Lewis put it like this. Most people, if they, really had to lear- if they really had learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise, says Lewis. And look, every time we have that feeling of disappointment, one of four things can happen. First, we can blame the things. We look at our success and we say, I've made it, why am I not satisfied? Why am I so unhappy? And we think to ourselves, oh, this is the wrong job, the wrong wife, the wrong house. So people keep changing mates and houses and careers. And we're saying all the time, it must be the things. I I need new things. So when we don't find what we're looking for, we blame the things. Or secondly, we blame ourselves. I'm unhappy because I haven't achieved. I've made bad choices. I should never have married that person or taken this job. You see, we blame the things, we blame ourselves. Thirdly, we blame the universe. So we say, I've just come to realise that you can't expect anything out of life. I've given up trying to be happy. And you become bitter and like a grumpy old man, you rob other people of their enjoyment as well. There's no point looking for things, no point looking for happiness in things. You, You say cynically, it can't be found, it's not possible in this universe. See what's going on? You blame the things and you become a fool thinking that it... It's just that you haven't got the right thing yet. You blame yourself and you become depressed. You blame the universe and you become a cynic and a misery to be around. Or fourth, you can blame your separation from God. I cannot find satisfaction in this world because I was built for another world. The reason I am so thirsty is because I'm made for eternal life and I'm trying to satisfy my thirst in temporal things. We weren't made for time and space. We were made for something much more. We were made for Jesus. That's what he's saying here in verses 13 and 14. Drink of these things, you'll be thirsty again. But drink from me. 
He'll never be thirsty. See, look at this woman on this day and it didn't seem as if she was looking for anything. She was just going about her daily routine. But look more deeply as Jesus did and we see her whole life was a pursuit of happiness and satisfaction. And you know, that is the case in your life and mine. Maybe that's why you've come this morning. Maybe you've been invited by a friend. Perhaps you've come back after Christmas. Maybe it's a New Year's resolution. Let's try and find out what church is all about. Whatever reason you've come, it's great you've come. Well, look, Jesus has an offer for you. Jesus says this in verse 14, Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. That's the offer. Before I tell you more about the offer, let me say a word to those who've already drunk of this water that Jesus offers. Those of you who come regularly. You've already drunk from this eternal, spring of eternal life. Let me say two things to you. Firstly this, hold your nerve. Do you see what this is telling us? Everyone you meet needs Jesus. They may not look as if they do, but they do. They may look quite content, they may even tell you that they are content, but their whole life is a search for a way to quench their thirst. It really is. Nicodemus, or this woman at the well, everybody's searching. That's why we want to be part of Passion for Life in March. God has a passion for life. He made life. He wants us to enjoy life. He wants everyone to find life abundant, satisfying. It's good to be alive life. So invite your friends to the Passion for Life mission. It's the kindest thing you can do. If you really are a friend, you'll do it. Be involved when we attempt to visit every home in the parish. See, we want to introduce people to the one who can give them water to drink that will take away their thirst. So first, let me say to you, if you come here week in and week out, don't lose your nerve. Whatever it looks like, everyone you know needs Jesus. Secondly, let me say this to those already committed Christians here this morning. And this is a surprise. Let me say this to everybody who's already a committed Christian. You need Jesus. See, my guess is at this point, you think this is just an evangelistic talk, but no. No, you see, this is for Christians too. I have needed to hear this, this this week. Studying this has been good for me as Monday morning after a week's holiday. Well, apart from last Sunday, I was back at work and I, I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be the Vicar of Christchurch Forward last Monday morning. Some of you might be pleased and wish I'd bogged off, but I didn't. <laughs> You see, the truth is, I need to remember again every day that Jesus is the only way my thirst can be quenched because I keep looking elsewhere for meaning. I do that all the time and I'm sure you do too because we're all the same. Even though I know that Jesus is the meaning of life, even though I know that he alone can quench my thirst, every time I read the Times supplement or watch the adverts on the television or talk to my unbelieving friends, all the time I'm being told that that life is so much better, would be so much better if I had more money to burn and could go on exotic holidays holidays and have tons of leisure time except for the measly one day off that I get a week you know I don't even get two days off a week and and if I had a new mobile phone and a perfect body and this body is never going to be perfect I have to face up to that and a new love in my life and so on that message is all around me 
And I keep believing it. And so I keep taking my eye off the ball and I want to lower the bucket of my soul into something else, thinking there I'll quench my thirst. So today I need to hear what Jesus has to say. I need to hear verse 14. Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. That's where I won't be thirsty. Because I keep drinking from other things and I'm sure you're the same too. And you know those other things are like salt water. They just leave me thirsty. So we all need this offer. The offer that Jesus gives to all. The offer of water that quenches my thirst. Such a great offer. He offers water from a spring, a spring that bubbles up. Do you see it there in verse 14? He offers water from a spring. And I never realised till this week the difference between a well and a spring is immense. A well in the Near East was actually a cistern. It took in rainwater and collected rainwater and so if it didn't rain it would be dry. And you know, you could build over a well like that. You could fill it with all kinds of rubble and rubbish and build on top of it and that would be the end of it. There would be no well, no water, no no source of water. All all done. But a spring, it's impossible to build on it. Well, you can build on a spring, but you're really foolish because you can throw rubble and dirt into it and you can try to build on it and the spring will come up underneath and the spring will break through. Keeps bubbling up. Can't get rid of it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. See, when you become a Christian, when, when you have this spring of living water in your life, it doesn't, matter, it, doesn't matter that all the, all the, it doesn't mean that all the rubbish has gone in your life. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that from then on you'll never feel hurt or dissatisfied or let down by life. It doesn't mean that you never chase after other things. But it does mean that you can never stop this thirst-quenching water in your life from bubbling up. It's what happened to me this week, you see. Everybody's fed up. Got to go back to work. Got to do. Maybe if I had something. No, no. This it came bubbling up. Even when you get things wrong and you're out of perspective, and even when you start to put other rubbish in your life and run after these other things that don't quench your thirst, all this rubbish on top can't stop the spring of eternal life bubbling up and breaking through. Isn't that wonderful? So with Jesus, when you're confused, clarity bubbles up and breaks through. When you're depressed and despairing, hope bubbles up. When you're distressed, you find peace breaking through. There's a moment in The Lord of the Rings that illustrates how wonderful this is. Uh, There's Gandalf, the the wizard. Uh, At one point, when he seems to be most unhappy, one of the the hobbits looks into Gandalf's face and he he sees sadness. He, he He sees him upset. But then... The hobbit looks deeper and it says this. In the wizard face he saw lines of only care and sorrow but under there was a great joy, a founding of mirth enough to set a kingdom laughing. See, when you have Jesus, when you're you're trusting him, no matter how much junk comes into your life, whether it be through your own bad decisions or the knocks of the world or the hurts that others bring into you, no matter how much rubbish is thrown into your heart, living water bubbles up through. You can never get rid of a spring. Living water giving you hope and joy and peace and clarity and direction and meaning and satisfaction and contentment and everything that you and I ever looked for. That's what Jesus is talking about here in verses 13 and 14. 
Everyone who drinks this water, the water from the world, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Don't you want that water? Eternal water? Of course you do, because everyone does. It's just whether we'll acknowledge that we want it, whether we admit that we want it or not. And I believe there'll be a number here this morning who are saying, yes, I do want that water. For whatever reason, you've, you've, you've turned up this morning, you're saying, I want that. Maybe you've been coming for years and you know you've never drunk of this water, not really. You've dabbled with Jesus, but you've never drunk from him. Well, let me tell you how you can get that water. See, verse 14 again, Jesus says that I give it, he says. I give it. So, look, money can't buy it. You, you can't earn it. No one can say they can deserve it. You can't say, oh, I'm a good person, so I ought... No, no, no. No, it's none of that. Jesus gives it. You have to come to him and say, verse 15 then. Look, you see verse 15? Sir, Jesus, give me this water. That's what you have to say to get the water. He's the one who gives it, so ask him for it. And when you say that, he'll say, now, now stop drinking from those other cisterns, these broken cisterns that, that keep leaving you thirsty. Just stop that now. That's what he does in verse 16. Did you notice? He identifies for this woman the other well that she's been drinking from. It's been men looking for love. See, he shows her where she's been lowering the bucket of her soul to try and quench her thirst. And he says, stop drinking from there. Because drinking from there won't quench your thirst, it'll just leave you more and more thirsty. And so as, Jesus, uh, as you say to Jesus, please give me this water, he'll show you where you need to stop drinking. Now this woman understood that. And so it, uh, verse 28, it's a lovely picture, she left her water jar. Isn't that a great picture? She left her water jar. She left her water jar, symbolically, she doesn't need that water anymore. She's found a spring of living water in her life. And she was so excited about it that she wanted to tell everyone else. That's verse 29. You see, come to Jesus. Come and drink from him. Uh, for some of you will say, I, I want to go to Christianity Explored to find out how I can do that. This will be ideal. You you've heard David talk of it. It's a great course to go to. End of the month, 26th of January. Pick up one of these and go along. Some of you will be saying, no, I want to turn to him today. I can't wait until the... Tw I'll go to the 26th of January, but I want to do it today. Good. Verse 15 is what you need to say. Just go to Jesus and say, give me this water. And let me say, whoever you are, whether you're an inquirer into these things, first time here, been here for years, already a Christian, been a Christian for years, can talk about the time when you became a Christian, whoever you are, this passage says, stop drinking from other places. Those places will just leave you thirsty. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderful reminder, or maybe for some, this revelation today. Uh, that uh, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy. Many of us here know the truth of that, but we confess to you that we do run after other things. We, we try to drink from other things to satisfy our thirst and we ask for forgiveness. And more than that, we, we pray you'd help us to have our 
eyes very firmly fixed on Jesus. For those for whom this is all new, we pray please that you'd help them to see how everything else in life has left them thirsty. And we pray you'd give them the courage to drink of him and to say to Jesus, give me this water. And so we pray as we do, our lives would be full, bubbling up, overflowing uh, with joy and contentment and thankfulness and all that we ought to be. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.